Good morning. You'll notice I have a little booby trap here. <laughs> I got to keep myself in mind. Remember that. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we ask you to bless now as we come to thy word. Lord, I always think of Paul when he said, preach the word. Be instant, in season, and out of season with all long-suffering and doctrine, Father. Even as the Apostle Paul says, I preach not myself, but Jesus Christ and him crucified. We indeed want to keep our eyes only upon you, Father, and upon our wonderful Savior that we speak about and sing about, the one whom we worship and love and adore. And we do pray that thou would glorify thy Holy Son this day. For in Jesus' name we pray. And thank you, Father. Amen. Matthew chapter 2, please, if you want to turn there. And we have sung about this. One of the songs there said, What child is this on Mary's lap, so sweetly sleeping? And that, of course, is this is Christ the King. And we want, I want to think a little bit about that this morning, about the uh, presentation here. I'll just read a few verses to refresh your mind a little bit. Matthew 2, 1. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Keep that last phrase in mind. I didn't ever see it quite so strongly as I did this time. We've come to see him and to worship, to worship him. Okay, that's good to keep that in mind. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written, they knew where to turn, uh, Thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. And Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. What a liar he was. He had other things in mind. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And they were come, when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. <clears throat> and when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. We're going to sort of take a journey. They took a journey, the, the Magi coming from the east. We're going to take kind of a, a little bit of a journey today and emphasizing this idea, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We usually think of the Lord Jesus born as Savior and praise the Lord. That's a wonderful reality. And I thank so much for that. But today we want to think a little bit about another aspect of Christ as the king, the promised king that the Jews have been looking for for uh, hundreds of uh, years, uh, foretold to an extent in embryo form back in Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman that should come, 
and bring deliverance by crushing the head of the serpent and so forth. I just want to point out that uh, Matthew is a book that was written to present the Lord Jesus Christ as the king. That's the emphasis, and it's interesting to know that all the way uh, through the book of Matthew, he brings us out in many different ways and many different uh, aspects. Chapter 1, we have the lineage of the king, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Then he goes on to explain uh, from Abraham on down through David and David down through his seed. In other words, if a man is going to be declared king, he, they have to say, well, how can you prove your lineage? How do we know you come from uh, a king's line? And so he gives that to us in the first 17 uh, verses. It's interesting, though, that he also puts David first, even though Abraham was first by a thousand years, because, again, like we said, he says, I want to tell you the story about the king. Jesus Christ is truly the king uh, of Israel. Uh, <clears throat> actually, you look at chapter 1, we have a lineage, and it's Joseph, and then the the, uh, the verse 17, there is a switch. Everything is begat, begat, begat. And then all of a sudden, we have of Mary of whom was born Jesus. Because as we know, uh, we're emphasizing here the virgin birth. Uh, the son of God who came uh, and became a part of the human nature that we all possess and we don't have time to go into that today, but again, theologians talk about this and say the greatest possible thing that you could ever happen. The British call it the grand miracle. Uh, God joining together with flesh. And remember, the Lord Jesus Christ continues on that way. He still is the man in heaven glorified. Uh, he came as the, the son eternal with the father, but now he has taken upon him flesh and is that a body that is glorified up in heaven. Okay, well, one interesting thing about this also, by the way, since we're taking a journey, is the Jews were very zealous of this, and they kept very accurate records of their um, uh, kings and so forth, uh, not all of whom were very good, as you certainly do know. But uh, one side note I read was that when Titus, the Roman, destroyed the city of Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70, that he burned everything down and no records remain. Anybody that would come today and say, I have a right to become the king of the Jews, cannot prove uh, their lineage through any of the records because they are all gone. I do want to keep, keep this in mind though before us today. The uh, Jewish people were very much concerned. You see, we always approach the Lord Jesus as savior. And, and, of course, that is, like I say, a wonderful truth. But they were very much concerned about the king. Where is the king? And uh, when <clears throat> even at his crucifixion, you remember, they put a, a placard. Uh, a pilot did this, of course, and they said, this is the uh, king of the Jews. And, uh, of course, they didn't like it very well, but... Uh, Pilate was getting tired of their fussiness, and he said, what I've written, I've written. We're not going to change it. This is Jesus, king uh, of the Jews. The people of Israel said the same thing as he was hanging on a cross. If you were the king of Israel, they said, come down from the cross, and then we'll believe you and accept you as our king. They mocked him, of course. 
And <clears throat> naturally, God had another plan. And so the Holy Spirit guides us and directs us in this matter. Where is he that is born king of uh, the Jews? <clears throat> we have to tell you this morning that this passage presents much truth, but it's interesting how many unanswered questions there are. A lot of people say, who are these magi? Exactly where did they come from? What connection was there between a star and a newborn king? And uh, how, did, how did they know this? <clears throat> and um, I have to say today, I'm sorry we're not going to answer all these questions. They've studied them for 2,000 years, and in 30 minutes, I don't think we're going to give you all the answers. But at the same time, I, uh, I, don't, I think it's all right with the Lord if we indulge in just a little bit of reverent speculation, uh, if you don't mind. Uh, we have to go back again a little bit in history. And several things happened. For one thing, Alexander the Great conquered the world, and he was so fascinated with uh, Grecian culture and the Grecian language that he spread that language all the way over. And he went as far as India before his troops rebelled and said, we're not going to do it anymore. We're tired of this. But anyway, the lang Greek language could go around the world at that time and present the truth of God. And I guess we all know that our New Testament is written in, in the Greek. Okay. And that's so different because here we have a, a Jewish context, Jewish people. All the early converts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all, they were all Jews, but written uh, in the Greek so that the whole world can understand that message. The other point that I think is a very fascinating thing, most scholars think, they, they can't prove this, like I say, we're doing a little bit of speculation, but most scholars think that uh, uh, the Magi came from Babylon. Uh, it's kind of interesting because Abraham came from Ur the Chaldees, which is over around that very same area on the Euphrates River, around Babylon. And we all remember that David was carried away captive, where? Into Babylon. And David, uh, David, excuse me, not David, Daniel. Daniel was uh, honored and revered there as one of the greatest men uh, among the counties. As a matter of fact, they made him uh, the president, and the others were under him. Even his friends uh, were put under him. And so uh, he was able to have converse with many of these men of the East. And uh, well, we have an idea that they all didn't know very much in those days. Um, I'm telling you, I think we have to put away that kind of arrogance. Some of those people were very wise. Uh, they pondered long and deep about things. And Daniel... Uh, I just want to read what Daniel, if this, this is a possibility, I'm not saying it's absolutely the way it happened, but to me it is a great possibility. Over in Daniel chapter 7, uh, we read, I beheld till the thrones were cast, the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head as pure as wool. His throne was like a fiery flame, his wheels as a burning fire. And then it said, the books were open, and the time of judgment was come. All right, we know that is the Ancient of Days. That is uh, the Father, God the Father. But in that same context now, remember, this is Daniel writing about 555 uh, B.C., and he's over in Babylon. As a matter of fact, 
the book of Daniel is considered more or less written mostly for the Gentiles. Part of it was even written in the uh, Chaldaic language. Uh, it's, it's interesting how God works. Somebody said of the golden purpose of God that you can discern if you are careful uh, discern in the scriptures, uh, working its way through all the mayhem and madness of the world scene. And that's true. You look at the world, you look at the history of the world. It's battle and greed and everything that seemed to just tear down all that we believe is most precious. And yet somehow God says, I will declare the decree. I will set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And God says, I'm going to work out my purpose. Let man do what he makes the wrath of man to, to please him. And the remainder of wrath, the Bible says, he restrains. God says, I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to do it. And so the second passage here in Daniel, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like unto the Son of Man. He came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, which I read to you just a few minutes ago. And they brought him near before him. And there was given, now listen to this picture. There was given unto him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, languages should serve him and his dominion. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. So we hear that this kingdom is not just limited king of the Jews. We're not thinking just of one little tiny a group of people over there. Praise God, has, he has a purpose for them. And God will use them, and he's going to restore Israel someday. That's all true. We, we all know that. But his purpose goes far beyond just one little nation, the nation of Israel. And it's going to be for the entire world. And not only that, it's going to be an eternal kingdom, he says, which shall never be destroyed. And you have to look at this, and you have to say this language transcends uh, just a merely earthly king. And when these magi came, uh, they were not thinking of, well, we'd like to meet the new king and, on, in a political sense and see how he's doing and wish him well and so forth like that. It says, we have come to worship him. I pointed that out when I read that. <clears throat> and if you go over to verse 11, it says when they, <clears throat> excuse me, came down and found uh, the Mary and Joseph and the baby. It says they did. These kings, these intellectual leaders is what they were really. Magi is a little bit misleading. Uh, they tie that in with astrology and so forth. Now these men that were able to read all the ancient manuscripts over there, uh, they came down and fell down before him, it says, and they worshiped him far more than just a, a political figure. They recognized there was something divine uh, about this child. I'm, they didn't understand all that we have today. We have so much more history uh, to work with, but they understood that this was more than just an ordinary baby, more than just an ordinary child. And it says they came and, and they worshiped him. On the way over, they uh, saw the star. The star took them so far. And then when he came to Israel, I often wonder why did they go to Jerusalem? Why did they go around and save a lot of trouble? But either way, God had a purpose in that too. Uh, they went to Jerusalem. Why? Because that was the uh, capital city of Israel. And uh, 
they said, well, the Jews must be very excited that after all these years now, their Messiah King is born. And I just can't imagine how excited those people must be. But what does the word of God say? They came, and uh, uh, Wiersbe says, the Magi sought him, the king opposed him, and the religious leaders ignored him. <laughs> There's a lot of truth in that, isn't there? They came, though, and even when they gave them the news, and even when they were able to give him Micah's prophecy, where he would be born in Bethlehem, none of them went to check it out. When you wonder, you think, you know, it shows you one thing. You can have a lot of knowledge, but uh, just having a lot of knowledge, even about the Bible, is not enough. Is not enough. And uh, I thought myself a little bit about this, excited over this wonderful news. And I thought it really pays us to stop and think a little bit. How excited are we at Christmas? We, I knew a young person one time, and she went to one of the Christmas programs and came back and we asked her. We said, what'd you think of it? Oh, she says, you know, same old stuff. Uh, boys wearing their dad's robes and ketchup bottles wrapped in, in tinfoil. <laughs> same old stuff. I thought, oh, no, no, no. It's not the same old stuff. Every Christmas, it seems to get more wonderful, more precious. Unto us, a child is born. Unto us, to me, to you. Unto us, a, a child, uh, under us, a son is given. The earthly child born, but the eternal son given to us. God's love of the world, he knew what he gave his only begotten son. We have to take time to stop and, and ponder and think about the, the wonder of what Christmas really is. Rabbi Zacharias reads a lot of philosophers, and I'm glad I can read him, and I don't have to read them because my mind's not up to it for one thing, but for another thing, I can get an idea of their thinking, and one of them said this, uh, as far as a purpose in life, he said, what purpose can there be in this little mud heap spinning around through infinite space? He said, if there's any purpose, he says, I can't find it. Uh, pessimism, you, you read them. Bleak, bleak pessimism. But when I read this, God says, I sent my son, and there is a purpose. This world, sometimes you wonder, it's, it's, we know what's going on today all around the world, our capital and everywhere else all around the world. And you say, uh, uh, nothing but confusion, nothing but confusion. But God says, I still have a purpose. I have an eternal purpose, and I'm calling out a people for my name, and someday they are going to, we read it this morning, part of our reading uh, for devotions, that we will share in his glory. Uh, I can't fully interpret that. Someday we'll find out. But either way, God has a, a purpose for us. I just read a couple of verses very quickly to you that uh, speak a little bit about that purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I always, uh, we usually use this for uh, <coughs> Uh, well, in Bible teaching, but either way, I have not seen, and ear has not heard, and neither hath entered in the heart of man. In other words, in our greatest imagination, it has not entered into our minds 
the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Someday, we'll look back and say, you know, I never really grasped all that, the wonderful purpose that God has for us. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul says something along the same line. He says, verse 18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Can you imagine someday when we share in the glory of Christ, we lay aside this old nature and we are perfectly free from all that and then we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. A wonderful purpose. Anyway, I want to get back to this. As Christians, we should be the most excited people in the world. I am saved. I'm a child of the king. I hope that's the way you feel. And not only Christmas, but the day after Christmas. <laughs> you know, Christmas will come and Christmas will go and so forth. And I'm always so glad that uh, it doesn't stop there. God says, I'm willing to go with you today, and I'll be there tomorrow, and I'll be there the next day, and I'll be with you a million years from now. And a million years from now, you know what we're we'll doing? We'll still be praising God and thanking him. Oh, God, how could you have loved us so much that you sent your only begotten son to die for us? I can't understand it. I can't grasp it. I believe it, but I, I can't fully take it into my mind and into my heart. But it is a wonderful reality. All right, we go on a little bit with our story here. Uh, in verses 4 and 5, as we know, Herod called the uh, uh, wise men. Well, it must have been a pretty good cavalcade because they, got a, they had or, an interview with the king. And Herod was a pretty uh, ruthless king. He was a strong king and so forth, but very ruthless. But anyway, uh, he, they had a, an audience with him. And... It says that Herod was troubled. Well, you believe he was troubled. Herod, was, uh, one of my commentaries says he was an insanely jealous man. He had his own favorite wife put to death and two of her brothers because he thought they were plotting against him. What a horrible, horrible cruel. Sometimes rulers can be some of the, most, uh, some of the worst people on the face of the earth. Anyway, uh, they heard where he should be and the Magi came, somebody said, the Magi came and worshiped. The shepherds came and adored. Mary submitted, Joseph obeyed. You see, there must be a response to that babe in Bethlehem. And the only truly proper response is for us to say, oh God, thank you. You've hidden these things from the wise and prudent and you revealed them unto babes. Aren't you thankful the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart? Aren't you thankful that you know that Jesus Christ is both Son of God, Lord and Savior? Aren't you thankful today for that? Thank you, God. Thank you so very, very much. Uh, but then we have to go on a little bit. Time's getting away here. Uh, they also gave of their substance to these people, and God had a plan for that because pretty soon they were going to go to Egypt. They needed money for the trip, but so God provided, as God always does, for those who are and loving obedience unto him. And then we uh, think, well, what happened? Well, what happened to this babe who was so great and who went around doing good? It says in the book of Acts, Jesus of Nazareth went around doing good, proving that he was the king. He could heal the lepers. He could give sight to the blind. He could raise up the dead. He, over and over again, he just proved uh, that he was entitled to be the king as the Old Testament had 
predicted about him. Uh, <clears throat> but what happened? You know, I kind of hate to come to the end of the gospel stories and the four gospels. Everything goes downhill. They become more and more opposed to him. They built up more and more hatred, especially the religious leaders against the Lord Jesus Christ, the only perfect, most loving man that ever lived on the face of this earth. And they stand before Pilate, and what do you want me to do with this man? Do crucify him. Well, shall I release unto you Barabbas, a robber, and so forth? No, no, we don't want Barabbas. We want you to kill Jesus. Let Barabbas go. We don't care about him. What shall I do with your king? Crucify him, crucify him. And as we know, that was happened. Then God pulled aside the veil and said, I knew it was going to happen, but this was also part of my plan. In the Old Testament, we have the shepherd, the sheep dying for the shepherd. We come to the New Testament now, we have the shepherd is going to die for his sheep. He says, my sheep, which are mine own, shall follow me. And he says, I down my life uh, for the sheep. And out of that, God says, go on all the world and preach the gospel. We have to hasten on. We can't dwell too much on that. Uh, but the, the disciples still had this in mind. We're looking for a king. And so in Acts, early part of Acts, they said, will you restore the kingdom at this time? See, they did not fully understand. And the Lord Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times and seasons which the Father hath in his own power, but you shall receive power through the Holy Spirit to be a witness unto me unto all nations. That's still going on today. God's calling out a people for his name, some from every kindred, tongue, and tribe all over the world. And someday we're the body of Christ. Someday we're going to be the bride of Christ, his consort for all of eternity. So where will that lead us? Well, we have to hasten over and turn to the end of the chapter, end of the book, and that's in Revelation uh, chapter 5. And in Revelation chapter 5, we have a, a picture of first uh, God himself, the eternal God in verse 4 and so forth. But in verse 5, it says, uh, I saw him uh, sitting on the throne of glory, and he had, uh, he had a scroll and uh, one writer said, it's the title deed to earth. Who is going to reign over this whole earth? See, Satan wants to be that leader. He wants to be that king. As a matter of fact, he said, I offer you, Jesus, I offer you this kingdom if you'll fall down and worship me. Uh, that was not just blarney. There's something about that. Don't fully understand it all. But he wants to be the king over this planet. Who is worthy to open the scrolls and bring forth God's purpose now for all eternity? as far as this earth is concerned. And it says that no one was found worthy. Not Moses, no, Moses wasn't worthy. What about Abraham, no. What about David, no. Paul, no. The great apostle John, no. No man was worthy to come, take that scroll and open up the future course of history and God's perfect plan. And John says, I wept much. Excuse me, because no man was found worthy to come and do that. And then one of the elders came and said, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. There again we pick up that thread of kingship, you see. The king. We're speaking about David. David the king hath prevailed. 
he says, I beheld, and lo, I saw, he said, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he says, I looked, and behold, a lamb as it had been slain from the foundation of the world. Anyway, we can't linger there. Either way, the whole idea, who's going to bring in this kingdom that's going to last forever and where we'll finally have peace on this earth? And then they had this great exaltation. If any of you have heard the Messiah, you know, they call it one of the greatest oratorios ever, ever written. And this is part of it. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000. Can you imagine that scene? That great throne, 10,000 times 10,000. Millions of angels gathered around that throne, all with one purpose, to glorify and praise our eternal almighty God. And they said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and those that are under the sea heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and under the Lamb forever and forever. And the living creatures fell down and worshipped him. And then a few chapters later in Revelation, we have a great declaration by a strong angel and says, Behold, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Get you a little bit excited? I'm glad I'm going to be there that day. <laughs> and you'll be there that day. And we'll say, Lord, Oh, life has been rough at times. And there's so much sadness in the world. And there's so much sorrow. We've had some things recently that really trouble our hearts very, very much. And we say, Lord, we can't fully understand all this. We can't fully understand this. But God says, but there's a new day coming. There's a new day coming. And what did they, we used to sing that song. We've sung it before. The king is coming. The king is coming. The king is going to come. And you know, I keep saying, well, I don't guess he'll come in my lifetime as I'm past 39, as you know. And <clears throat> every time I think that, though, the word of God comes back and says, in such a time as you think not, <laughs> the Son of Man cometh. So I said, I better get my thinking straightened out here. It could be today. It could be tonight. It could be tonight. It doesn't matter. When he does come, we're going to hear his voice and be raised up to join them in the air. And somebody said, for the first time in the history of the church, we're all going to obey. <laughs> you don't have any choice. <laughs> God calls the voice of authority, the voice of command, come up here and be with me uh, where I am. And then the Bible says it shall be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 35. The lame man shall leap, the tongue of the deaf shall be loosed. Those that their ears shall be unstopped, those that are deaf. And it says, and holiness shall be the way of life, and a fool walking therein shall not be misled. Well, it's a wonderful day coming, brother, wonderful day. It all starts there back in Bethlehem. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. I just want to encourage you a little bit today that we might really be excited and say, Lord, you know when you do, you say, Lord, Help me to do my little bit for you. Someday you'll never have the chance. You got to do it now. You got to do it now.
Dear Father, thank you, Lord, today for the wonder of your love. Lord, I know a million years, it doesn't matter. We'll never get over it. We'll never get over it. We'll say to God, how could it be that you could love me so much? I don't understand it, Lord. But I'm so thankful that you do love us. Jeremiah says, I loved you with an everlasting love. Lord, I know I don't deserve it. I, I'm so aware of my faults and my failures and my inconsistencies. And yet you say, but I don't give up. I don't give up. I've chosen you in Christ before the foundations of the world. And someday, with the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll share in his glory. Thank you, Father God. Praise be to our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ, thy holy Son, our Lord. Amen.